Should I get him a mic? <laughs> okay, so here's the deal. Would you turn me down just a little bit, Corey? Thanks, buddy. Okay, so here's what we're doing tonight. We're going to change it up a little bit. Tonight, I got a favor to ask of you guys. Tonight's not going to be a real high energy night, if you will, but I want to give us an opportunity as a youth group to really kind of prepare our hearts for what's coming on Sunday. And to prepare our hearts for what's coming on Sunday, we've got to look at what is referred to in the church world as Maundy Thursday, which is the Lord's Supper, Passover, and then Good Friday, which most of us, I'm pretty sure everybody in the room knows what Good Friday represents, Christ's death on the cross, that sacrifice that he made for our sin. And what I want to do tonight, we're going to open with worship, okay? So opening with worship, and then I'm going to get into the message, and then we're going to do something that I don't remember ever doing in youth group for all the, all the years I've done this. We are going to take communion tonight as a group when we're toward the end, when, not when we're done, but toward the end, if you will, okay? I will explain all that, what the details look, what communion is. I'll get into a few more of those details as we go through the night. So tonight, what I would like for you guys to do for me is honestly, I guess, maybe hear the words I say tonight, but I want you guys to really genuinely, no matter whether you're an adult in the room or a student in the room, genuinely allow God to search your heart tonight, and really allow him to prepare you for what we're going to talk about tonight, but also what's coming up on Easter. Because I'd really like to see us in the way, especially the way the world is today, it's a mess outside these doors. And when we come in here, I'd like to think we have a little hope, encouragement, conviction if we need it, comfort if we need it, but we need to hear from God. Because this is almost like a boot camp scenario where we come in here to go out there to go to battle. Does that make sense to you guys? So tonight... Um, let this be a night of remembering and reverence. That would be my request from you guys. So if you'll open up your hearts tonight, we will do that. So everybody, if you would stand, we're going to worship. Uh, the girls are going to lead us in worship tonight with a couple songs, and then we'll get into the message. But I'd like to pray before we get started, okay? So let's pray. Father in heaven, um, you're good, and we are grateful, Lord. We come to you in the name of Jesus tonight because we are taught by your word Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So tonight, I want to open up, as Carson did, just echoing his prayer tonight, Lord, that um, we feel your presence. And we come to you tonight in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, the one who provides the way, who has provided a way to the Father through his sacrifice. So Lord, tonight, I pray that you guard our hearts. Hide us amongst your angels, Lord, tonight as we go through this message in this time of worship and communion and remembering with a, a, a just a, a unique sense of reverence tonight, Lord, looking back at what you've provided for us and looking forward at what you'll do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. My sin upon his shoulders 
to be here today. We just welcome your presence here. We want to hear from you today. Please come and meet us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I have a question for you. I want everybody to look at me and think about this. That song, Turn Your Eyes Onto Jesus. Yeah, thank you. I got a question I want you to ponder for just a second. If you would, I need you guys tonight to 
take and put yourself back in the Bible for a minute. I love it when I read the Bible and I try to place myself within the moments of scripture. You're on Calvary, the mountain where Jesus has died. He's hanging on a cross. And I, I, I had this echo in my head, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And I want you guys to picture him tonight in your own mind as you would see it as you sit in your chair. What's that look like to you? When you see a man, Christ Jesus, hanging on a cross, and you see him beaten, scourged, I want you to visualize what he would look like in your mind for a second. Whatever that picture is in your own head, what's that look like? You got it? Now do me a favor. Take Christ down off the cross and put yourself up there. For just a minute, put yourself on that cross because that's what you deserve. For the wages of sin are death, the Bible says. We deserve death and hell because we're rebellious human beings because of our sin. So I want you to take a minute and I want you to see yourself up on that cross because that's where we belong without Christ. And when you see yourself up there and you realize that the wages of my sin is death, for all have fallen, fallen sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us have been there. And I pray tonight that you've been saved by the blood of Jesus, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But I really want you guys to get this idea of what it looks like as Christ is your substitute. Because see, Jesus willingly chose to take your place on that cross. And going forward into this Thursday night experience that we'll talk about with the Last Supper and Passover and Jesus into Good Friday, I really want you guys to understand this, this doctrine they call it of substitutionary atonement. That Jesus Christ willingly took your place on the cross. He didn't have to but he chose to. And I think tonight I want that to rest on us because that is something that I learned a long time ago when I realized this idea that Jesus, when he's in the garden and he prays, which we'll talk about in a little bit, when he prays, Lord, if this cup can pass before me, Father, if this cup can pass before me, let it be so, but if not my, not my will, but your will be done. That cup, and we've talked about this before, when I realize what that cup represents, in scripture the cup represents this, the wrath of God meant for mankind. And when I realized in my life that Jesus Christ chose to do what he did from Thursday night, Last Supper, going across the valley, Garden of Gethsemane, on the cross, giving his life for me as a substitution, I've never gotten over it. Because I realized without him, I will drink that cup of God's wrath that is meant for mankind. If I don't accept that substitute, that gift that God's given me on the cross through Christ, I'm going to experience that. He did not deserve to die, but he was willing to take our place and experience death. It's like this. If you can see the cross, the righteous for the unrighteous. He's righteous, but for my unrighteousness, he gave his life for me. He didn't have to. God's law says it this way. We as human beings are guilty of sin before a holy God. It's a very powerful thing when you think about it. And as I talk about this tonight, what I want you guys to also see is the love of Christ, the love of God, what he, the Father has for us through the story that we're gonna go through tonight is amazing. But God's law says you're guilty of sin against the holy God and justice demands your life. God demands a payment for your sin. And that sin separates me from that holy God. And God demands a payment for that. And Jesus says it this way. He demands my life, but Jesus says, no, take my life instead. And when Jesus offers that gift and we accept that gift, it changes the whole dynamic of everything. But we have to realize that I stand before a holy God and Jesus Christ will come in front of me and go, not his life, but take my life instead. That's a substitutionary atonement. As Jesus was hanging on a cross, suspended between earth and heaven, he took the sin of the world and God the Father placed our sin on him the one who had never sinned. 
That's what Jesus Christ has done for us when we look at this cross on Good Friday. The Bible says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Those words got so much weight to them because, again, what we deserve is death because of our sin that separates us from a holy God. First Peter 2.24 puts it this way, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die, listen, that we might die to our sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we're healed. When we accept that, when we accept that gift, when we accept that truth, and that's what I want you guys to really let God rest on you tonight and really ask God, where am I at in this conversation? Do I realize, have I accepted that? Because Jesus' last words on the cross were, it is finished. What's finished? When he says it is finished, what is finished? And I'm sitting here. If you guys can, can you guys see outside? See the moon? The full moon? I love this time of the year because when the full moon comes and you can see Christ up on a hill being crucified, going down, going through the garden to Gethsemane and being crucified for your sin and for mine, the extent that God reaches out his hand to you through this story and says, I have a substitute and it's my son who I will die to, I will die myself for you and he reaches out his hand, what are you doing with that? Have you accepted that back into your gift because you owe a debt that you cannot pay? We know in the gospel from dare to share, we know our sins cannot be removed by good deeds. When you're talking to people and you hear them say, well, I'm a pretty good person and I believe since I'm a good person that I'll go to heaven. No, there is a debt that we owe because of our sin that we cannot pay. But when Jesus says it is finished, he paid that debt that I owe. He paid that for me that I don't have to, to receive the wrath of God that is meant for me. Jesus takes as a substitutionary atonement, he takes my place. I get out of the way and I let Christ because of what he's done for me and offers me and I accept that to be true. But how does he pay for it? We understand that he's hanging on a cross. I don't know if it's ever struck you guys, but I remember when I first became a Christian, I, I used to think to myself, I was overwhelmed at the idea of what Jesus went through with the cat of nine tails and the beating where it says when he was being scourged, it would actually dig into his flesh, tear tendons and break ribs, the whip that they were using on him. The wrath, and you see the wrath of God through that being poured out on Christ that I should have received, that he received for me. What, what, what did he use as a payment? His blood. Hebrews chapter nine makes it very clear, you guys, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So when you see Jesus on the cross and you see him beaten and whipped, Isaiah, I think it's chapter 52. Isaiah 52 says it this way. He is literally unrecognizable as a human being, he's been beaten so bad because that wrath that was meant for mankind came on Christ through that beating, carrying his cross, hanging on, being crucified and hanging on that cross. That is all has to do with the wrath of God and our sin being poured out on Jesus. So when you see that, you have to realize the shedding of blood, that blood is where we find that forgiveness. And that sets us apart from every other religious sect out there. Because there's a lot of people that will say, I believe Jesus got Christ out on the cross. But they don't believe that's where we find the atonement. They don't believe the shed blood is where we find the forgiveness of sin. They think it's through good deeds and it's not. God makes it very clear in his principles. Just, and I'll get into the Passover here in just a second, but that's how he paid that price. Just as the blood from the Passover lamb that we'll talk about in a second kept the Israelites from the destroying angel, the blood of the lamb of God shed for the whole world on the cross would save all those who come to believe in Jesus Christ from the death and the wrath that God has for us. So when you look at the cross this year, I really want you guys to see, when you think about Good Friday that's coming up, I really want you to understand the extent that Christ went through to redeem you back into a relationship with him. And it's literally, it's this. He took your place. 
Because what you deserve, what I deserve is hell and death. But because God, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that if you believe in him, you will not perish, but you will have everlasting life. You will be brought from death to life, born again, if you believe in the work that Christ did on the cross. What I wanna do now is I wanna back up the story a little bit. That's Good Friday. That's when Jesus Christ gave his life. It is finished. But what I wanna do is I wanna back up the story just a little bit. God's laid it on my heart to do it this way. I pray it makes sense. Because this idea of the blood is a very powerful thing that I think we miss. There's power in the blood. We're washed white as snow from the crimson blood. The blood that Jesus Christ shed for us, there's a purpose and a plan that God has for us through that. So if you'll go back with me, let's go back about a day, not even a whole day. This is Friday in the afternoon when Christ dies on the cross. Let's go back to Thursday evening at the sunset of Thursday evening into Friday evening as the Jews would look at it. And here's what I wanna do. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, what would you like to do, us to do to plan for the Passover? Passover. And Jesus tells him, go into the town and you'll see a man walking with a water jug. I love every one of the gospels say this. There'll be a man walking with a jug of water. That doesn't seem like a big deal to us, right? Men didn't carry water in those days. Women did. So the disciples, Peter and John, it says in Luke, Peter and John go in and they find this guy walking with a pitcher of water. And they follow him and they say, the Lord needs your help. We need a room for Passover. So they go upstairs in this house and it's already set up. So they go in, the 12 disciples and Jesus Christ. Judas is still part of, the, part of the conversation right here. So that's Passover. It's Thursday night. It's remembrance of what happened back in Egypt, which I'll talk about in just a second. The original Passover feast consisted of this. When they would have a Passover, remember when the Israelites were, they, they were rescued from Egypt? When Moses went in and he did what he did with Pharaoh and Pharaoh finally said, great, get your people out of here because the firstborn died, that whole story, Right? And the Passover festival at that time, the feast consisted of this. That night when the death angel was gonna pass over Egypt, it consisted of a roasted lamb, unleavened bread, and bitter herbs. Every one of these things make, they, 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 they serve some purpose in this story with the Israelites. So you got the Israelites who are gonna be rescued out of Egypt, but the death angel is gonna come over Egypt that night and kill all the firstborn. Except for those that had the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. So when you look at the blood of the, the, this roasted lamb, that's where they would sacrifice the lamb's life and they would take blood with a hyssop and they would put it over the four posts of their door of their homes. And that way the death angel, the destroyer angel would come over the house, would pass over. The blood rescued them and protected them from the death angel. That's what the lamb represented. Unleavened bread that they ate back then in Egypt, when the Israelites un ate unleavened bread, that literally simply means this. They didn't have enough time for the bread to rise. So they had to eat unleavened bread because they ate their bread in haste because what God was about to do was gonna change everything. I want you to think about this idea about eating your food or walking away from your sin in haste. When you get yourself into sin, is it urgent enough for you to change what you're doing to get out of the process, to walk away from the temptation? Because I believe that's what the unleavened bread represents in this part of the story. Is it represents, there's gotta be haste to our life. And we see ourselves doing something dumb or in sin, we gotta get out of it right away. Don't dilly-dally, don't negotiate with it, mind God. So that's what that represents. And the bitter herbs represented the suffering that they went through. So all of these things that way back in the days of Egypt when the Israelites were being rescued, every year they, the Israelites have what they call Passover. And that's tomorrow night at the church. If you want, we're doing a special service at six o'clock. I'm encouraging you to come by and spend tomorrow night with us as well. But this Passover night is what Jesus and the disciples are about ready to experience. And this is doing this in remembrance of when they were rescued out of Egypt. So they get together that night. And I love this picture of, of the upper room. You got all the disciples. And in those days, they would actually lounge on the floor. They wouldn't sit in chairs like this. They would actually lean on their elbow and they would lounge on the floor together. That's how they ate their food back then. So they all get together in the upper room, but to begin with, something really unique happens in this room. Jesus Christ has been given the authority from heaven. He's got authority to do anything he wants, right? But watch the picture here. They're all laying around and they're arguing about who the greatest is and the disciples are big, bickering amongst each other. And I can just picture Jesus for a second. I just, I wonder sometimes, don't you? What did he look like? What did he smell like? What clothes did he have on? 
I mean, I look at this stuff when I see these pictures of the upper room and the experiences. Judas is on one side and John's on the other side and they're all sitting around and Jesus gets up. Imagine what this had to look like for your rabbi, your Lord, your teacher to get up and quietly walk to the other side of the room. Bible says he took off his outer garment and he laid it aside. And any theologian, when you study this, that means Jesus takes off his outer garment and lays it aside as he lays his authority aside for a moment. And you guys know what he does next, right? John 13 makes it very clear. He picks, he picks, picks up a bowl of water and a towel and a pitcher and he goes around and he washes every one of the disciples' feet. Takes, and I can't even decide to me, that silence is what that room had to be like. Because for someone to wash somebody's feet was the lowest task of any servant in the community at that time. And Jesus takes his authority and lays it aside and takes on the lowest menial task and washes his students' feet. I can't imagine, it had to just be like, what's he doing? And Peter has a conversation with him, which I won't get into tonight, but he does that. And then what he does after that is he sets the pitcher and the bowl and the towel down. And think about, think about this real quick. Who was in the room with him when he was doing this? The 12 disciples. This is Thursday evening. All through that night and the next morning when he's arrested, what did all these people do? He washed the feet. Don't tell me you can't serve people. He washed the feet of people that were going to betray him and were about to deny him, that they ever knew him. And Jesus knew it. And he still chose to wash their feet that night. That upper room experience to me is one of the most incredible moments in scripture because this is the culmination of what Jesus is doing. He knows it's his time. He knows what he's about ready to go do. He realizes all this and this is one of the last lessons that he teaches his students. And he tells them, now that I have set this example for you, if you do these things, you will be blessed. If you wash someone else's feet, if you're willing to serve someone else exactly like the example that Jesus set for us, you're gonna receive the blessing. We talk about this a lot when we, when we visit about our mission trip stuff. So Jesus takes all this aside, washes the feet of Judas who's about ready to betray him, and he sets all of it aside, picks up his outer garment, and puts it back on. And I love this picture. He comes back over and he sits down at the table. And he lounges with the students again. But he does something very unique with the elements that we're about ready to partake in in just a little bit. And what he does is a total different representation. Jesus takes two elements from the Passover feast, the unleavened bread and the cup, the wine that they would drink that night, watered down wine, by the way, there aren't a bunch of people. Listen, I'm gonna talk about this in a second, but I'll say it right now. There's a lot of people that were out there that would teach this, and this is true what they, it's not true what they teach, but it's true that they teach it, that this is some party. They're drinking wine and the disciples are drunk and Jesus is getting tanked and ain't it a great big party. That's, if you ever hear that, you run from anybody that ever teaches you that, but there's people out there that will teach this. But Jesus takes these two elements and he does this in a way that he uses them as a picture and a representation of his own death. Man, I think, you ever think about the disciples looking back over their shoulder? They had to be thinking to themselves, how could we miss this? Several times Jesus told them he would be crucified, handed over and crucified. The son of, the son of man would have to die, right? And, and here's another part where the, this, what he does, represents his death. The broken bread that we'll talk about represents his body for the sins of the world. The wine represents his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. See the seriousness of the blood? This wine, this juice that we're gonna partake in tonight represents a remembrance for us to represent that shed blood that Jesus Christ gave for me that I might be forgiven of my sin and have, be back in a right relationship with God because of that substitutionary atonement that Jesus provided for us. The Last Supper does this for us. Tonight, I want you to think about this as we partake in the elements. It teaches us to look back. For us as Christians, it teaches us to look back at the upper room. For them, it taught them to look back to the Egyptian experience when they were rescued out of Egypt. For us, it teaches us to look back. When you think about looking back and you look at the love that God has for us in this story and the experience and the things that Jesus did that night and allowed himself to go through on my behalf, we should look back with grateful hearts, shouldn't we? 
We should be able to sit tonight and look back at that upper room and think to ourselves, oh my gosh, and that should impact the way I wanna live my life as a Christian. Not to earn anything, but to do because of what's been done for me. It teaches me also to look forward. I look forward to the day when he returns. I look forward to the day when Jesus Christ will come again. He's going to come a second time, and when he comes, he's not gonna come as a suffering servant. He's not gonna come to forgive you of your sin. He's gonna come as a conquering king, and you better be ready when he shows up. And think about your life for a second today. As you look forward to that, did you even, and I'm saying for me, outside this message, probably not, but do we consider that Christ is gonna return in a twinkling of an eye? Do you live your life in the light of our Lord and Savior's return? Because if we do, that helps me live a life where I'm walking right with God because those things matter. So it teaches me to look, at, look forward to things, but it also teaches me to look within. To take communion is a moment for me to look within. Where am I at with God? How am I doing in my walk with Christ? I'm not talking about perfection. You guys know me well enough to know that. But I am talking about what's my motive, what's my heart, what's my desire, how am I doing in this? So communion that we'll take tonight teaches me to look back with a grateful heart and at the love that God has for me and how he expresses that through the cross. It teaches me to look forward and look forward to a time when my Lord returns. Listen, come Lord Jesus, come. You looked around the world lately? Come Lord Jesus, come rescue us from this mess. But are you ready? You better be ready. I don't know when he's gonna return. He never tells us, so we better be ready. And I want you guys to be able to look within and this looking within your own hearts and see if there's any sin that you need to confess to Christ tonight. Where are you at with God? Are you in sin? Are you being disobedient? Are, are you living a life and having behavior that is causing you to be separated from your Lord and Savior? First John chapter two, verse one says this, and I want you guys to hear the way this is written. My dear children, this is John the Apostle writing to you guys and to me tonight. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Hear that? I'm writing this to you tonight so that you will not sin. John doesn't want you to sin and John believes you don't have to sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who is faithful and just. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as we walk into communion tonight, I want you guys to do this with reverence and fear. And here's why. The Bible teaches me this. In 1 Corinthians, it says this about communion. Paul writes this. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Imagine, just stop for a second. What does that have to be like? What in the world is he talking about? If you're sitting there as a disciple, think what this had to be like for us. This is old hat. We know what this stands for. We have to remember back to what it was like that night, just fresh and new and really hard to understand. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, um, in, 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 new covenant in my blood. Do this, and, when, and whenever you drink of it, in remembrance of me. For when you, whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But the next part of this that I want you guys to hear, and I want, I want to make sure I'm clear on this tonight, because I really want you guys to understand where we need to be at when we take communion, because this is a very reverent and very fearful thing to do when you think about what the Lord writes here. Later in that scripture, after what I just read, it says, so then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in any unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. In any unworthy manner, you think about what I just talked about where people think this is a party. And they think this wine is something they can get drunk on. There's people that actually teach that to be true. According to this, you better not be doing it in un any unworthy manner because otherwise God's gonna hold you accountable for this. So there's a sense of fear, but remember what the fear of the Lord is. It's not something to be afraid of, it's something to be considered and brought reverently to the cross to say, Lord, where am I at? 
I don't want you guys trembling in fear to scripture like this. I want you to be able to receive this into your own heart as we read about this. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. That's what we're gonna do tonight. I want you guys to examine yourselves before we eat this bread and drink this cup in just a minute. That's what I want you guys to do with communion. So before we go forward in this, I wanna remind us of what we talked about. You look at Good Friday with the cross, the substitutionary atonement that Christ has offered us. That shed blood where we find the forgiveness of our sin. When the book of Isaiah again says that Jesus was so beaten and so torn up that he was really unrecognizable as a human being. And why did he do that? He did it for you. And he did it for me to take my place so that I would not have to experience the wrath of God that was meant for mankind. And then you look back at that upper room and you see Jesus serving the people that were gonna deny him and betray him and just the things that went on and he already knew it was all gonna take place. And then he, he shifts from washing people's feet, puts his authority back on, sits down at the table, and then he starts this new process of the bread and the cup. The, broken, the bread broken represents his body and the shed blood represents the wine. That'll be the grape juice and the bread that we'll take tonight. Okay, so as we do this tonight, I really want you guys to allow God to search your heart. I don't want you to be afraid to receive communion. I want you, when you get this cup and you get this bread, we're gonna be playing a worship song on the screen, and during that time, I want you guys to pray like crazy. Have a conversation with God, commune. This is a moment, these elements are given, they don't change. The elements themselves, it's still bread and it's still juice, right? But in that moment, there is a supernatural experience that you have, that you have the opportunity to commune with the one that did all of what we're talking about tonight. He'll commune with you in this moment. The Bible says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. So when you take this cup, when your leaders give you this cup with the juice and the bread and the song is being played, I want you guys to pray like crazy. I want, you to look, I want you to look back, say thank you, Lord, for the blood. And then look forward and say, I can't wait for your return. And then what I want you to do is look within. And if you have any sin anywhere that you need to confess and get right with God, you do that before you take this cup and you take this bread and this juice. Does that make sense to you guys? And then you receive the, you receive the elements when you're ready in your prayer time because you're all gonna be at your table, you're gonna have an opportunity to all pray by yourselves while this song is being played. So when you're ready, then you will take the cup. You'll drink, you'll eat the bread and you'll drink the juice at that time. Does that make sense? And then just dump your, uh, the cups in that plastic tub on your, on your tables. So while the song's being played, you have the elements in your hand, you look back, then you look forward, and then you look within. And you know that if you have anything that you need to confess to the Lord, he's faithful and just to forgive you. Then you receive those elements, you eat the bread, you drink the cup, and then we'll, while that song is being played, and then we'll move on in the service and just wrap up in just a few minutes. So I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna read the ritual because this is something that I believe is very important. So I wanna read this, just a few things, and then we're gonna have the, the leaders. Matter of fact, leaders, why don't you guys come up and each one of you grab a tray, take it back to your table, and wait till I'm done reading this, and then you can pass the elements to your students. That would be great. Let's pray. Almighty God, unto whom all our hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm gonna read to you guys the Apostles' Creed is what this is called, it was written thousands of years ago. The Apostle Creed says this, this is where we're going to agree that we believe this is the faith that we follow. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, and on the third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy General Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, 
the body, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, amen. When you guys do this, there's two cups. One's got the bread and one's got the juice, okay? I'm gonna go ahead and bless the elements as we say, and then I'm gonna turn you guys over, and then you can go ahead and pass the elements out after that, and we'll turn the song on, and you guys just pray like crazy. So it says here, the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his body for you, preserve your soul unto everlasting life. Take and eat this bread in remembrance that Christ died for you. Feed on him in your heart with, by faith with thanksgiving. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who shed his blood for you, preserve your soul into everlasting life. Drink this cup in remembrance that Christ shed his blood for you. While the song's playing, you guys pray, you take communion when you're ready, and we'll move on in a few moments. Corey, if you would, please. You so my question, has the blood been applied to your heart? Have you been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ? Because this next part is important. If you have, I want you to be able to have this confession. You go ahead and leave those lights off, Corey, that's fine. So you've got the upper room experience. Jesus has just finished up having communion with his disciples. Judas is off betraying Jesus for the 30 pieces of silver. You've got the 11 disciples, and they get up and they start to go. And they're heading for this garden. It's amazing to me that in the beginning of the Bible, it has to do with the garden. At the end of our experience in Christ when the New Jerusalem comes, there's another garden. And in between this is a garden that's very pivotal in our faith. Because Jesus Christ gets up with his disciples and they start to walk out. And Jesus says this to them as they're walking along. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. And how he has loved us, as we learned tonight, is through that sacrifice, that substitute that he offers, and through the shed blood. So he and his disciples, I want you guys to see if you can see this. They're walking to this place called the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's really critical where the blood comes into play again in this, because they're walking down to get to the Garden of Gethsemane. Tradition would show they walk through what they call the Kidron Valley, and the Kidron Valley is where all the blood would flow from all the sacrifices at Passover. They say they would sacrifice up to 250,000 animals through this week and through Passover, the time of Passover. And so Jesus, knowing where he was headed to, to the cross, to shed his blood, to be arrested and to shed his blood, he walks down through this Kidron Valley. And it says right before they left the upper room when he shares this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, you must love one another. They sing a hymn together. They step out, start on this journey, and I can't imagine what it had to be like to be Jesus, to walk through that little area where the blood was flowing, knowing where he was going. He gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, and all you guys know this story. He asked Peter, James, and John to come pray with him. They fall asleep, but Jesus is praying before he goes to the cross, before he's arrested, scourged, beaten, crown of thorns, spin on, beard pulled out. He knows where he's going. And he's praying, and you guys all know this prayer. He's in the garden, and in the book of Luke, I think it says he is so, there's so much anxiety. He's sweating what is like drops of blood. And he prays, if there's any way this cup can pass before me, Lord. Father, if there's any way this cup can pass before me, what's the cup? We know what it is. That cup of wrath that he was about to drink on my behalf on your behalf, if there's any way, Father, but not my will, but yours be done. See, if your heart's been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus and you've been covered by that blood, that should be your prayer in your life. As you walk, not my will, but your will be done. If I can have the band come up on stage, we're gonna close with a song that keeps that theme to it. So when you look at the substitute that he offered, the shed blood, the upper room experience, we just broke bread together. We, we remembrance of his body and his blood that was broken and shed for us. And we know we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We know we've been forgiven of our sin. Now our confession should be exactly like Jesus' was in the garden when he knew he was going to pain and suffering that surpasses anything we'll ever understand. Not my will, but your will be done. Stand to your feet. Let's spend time in worship. We'll sing this song and then we'll wrap it up here when we're done.
closing question I have for you we know for a fact that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us my question for all of you and for me is are you willing to lay down your life for him for God so demonstrates his love in this that while we were still sinners Christ died for us he demonstrates Jesus God the father didn't just tell us he loved us he demonstrated it for us and Jesus tells us now the new command I give you we must love one another as he loved us sacrificially so I know, I know the answer to the question I ask. Yes, I laid down my life for him. And I want you to remember, we laid down our life for him, absolutely. And we live by his grace, not our own strength, not our own power, but by his grace we live. And then we go out and we bring in glory the best we can in all that we do. Be not to earn anything, but we do because of what's been done. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you're good. I'm so grateful, Lord, for the truth of your word and the stories as we look back tonight and we remember that tonight what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ had done for us so long ago. Help us to have reverence in that, grateful hearts, full hearts of love, and just a, just a desire, Lord, that we can live our lives with that echoing our Savior in the garden. Not my will, but your will be done. And help us to remember, Lord, we don't do it in our own strength. We can't. We'll fail. But we can do it by your grace. By your enabling grace, we can bring you glory in all that we do. 
Help us to be a church, a youth group, a group of students and adults that will go do just that, to live for you and your glory in all that we do. Thank you. Seems so empty and so insignificant. Father, thank you. And we offer ourselves up to you tonight, Lord, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing. I'm praying that the aroma of our life is pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you guys want to sit back down at your tables, take a couple minutes, visit if you want, pray you guys are dismissed and ready to go whenever you'd like, okay? I love you guys a lot. Have a happy Easter, everyone.